Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Asbury Deep Dive podcast. I am Melissa Ivy, and not to confuse you, yes, last week it was Melissa Rinkema. I promise it's the same person. I just got married on Saturday, so that was super fun. So, um, yeah, it's Melissa Ivy now. Thanks. <laughs> um, so, just reminders once again if you want text to updates on these podcasts, you can text the number 81010 and text the word at Asbury Dive, and I will send out a text every time we have a new podcast up. And you can also text that same number and send in topics that you want me to cover. So do that. I would love to talk about the things that you guys have questions on. And so this is the deep dive, and we're going to be talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And so that's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Today we're going to go through Matthew 5. Next time will be Matthew 6. And so I love the Sermon on the Mount. This will probably be just a heads up for you all. This will probably be a bit of a longer podcast than 20-ish minutes, just so you know. So if you need to pause at any time or um, step away and really sit in the topic and then come back to it, I encourage you to do that. And so I'm just going to go through all of Matthew 5. um, But when I teach it, I love to break it up smaller than that. And so if you need to pause, do that. And there's a few good breaking points to do that. And so I encourage you for that. I just wanted to give you that heads up for it. Um, And so we are doing Matthew 5 today, like I said, but it would be really helpful for you if you paused and go read Matthew 5 right now. So I'm not going to read any of it to you directly. I'm going to have it open in front of me. I hope you have it open in front of you as well. And it's going to be really helpful to you if you read Matthew 5 before we get started. Just a heads up, I'd love for you to do that. And so um, let's get, let's jump into Matthew 5. So we're going to do a little bit of setup here. And so all of the gospels, the gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're the It's like a word for the stories about Jesus's life is what the word gospel is. Um, Gospel also means good news. And so it's the good news. It's people telling about the good news of Jesus. And so each gospel writer had a reason for writing their gospel. Yes, the reason was to tell about Jesus and his life. Absolutely. But they each, as every writer does, had their own bend and had their own specific reason that they were writing. And they're kind of like, they're like, their main point of like, hey, I really want everyone to get this. And when you know those things, when you read the gospels, you pick them up. It's really, really cool. So Matthew's main point, he's writing to Jewish Christians. And his point is saying that, hey, you have Jesus. Now go do something about it. Now go into the world. Now go share the message. Super cool. Love it. Mark, just I'll do all of them so you guys know. Mark, his main point is that Christ's identity is only known through the resurrection. So that's why Mark is shorter. That's why it gets to the cross so much faster. You know, it gets to the walk of the cross. There's lots that happens there when Jesus goes to Jerusalem and all those things. He gets there way faster than the other gospel because his point is you don't know Christ until you see the cross and you see the resurrection specifically. Super cool. Luke, hardcore social justice. So he's all about take care of the widows and the orphans. He always says, take care of people, take care of people, take care of people. Super, super cool. John is not, it's different than the other three. The other three are called the synoptic, sorry, synoptic, okay, maybe I can't say this word, synoptic gospels. There it is. There's a fun thing for you all to listen to today. And so they're all similar. And then John is a little different, quite different in a lot of ways, actually. And John's all about cosmic significance. He cares about start to end. That's why he starts his gospel in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He's all about how does this connect to God's bigger story? What's the big picture going on here? And so it's really, really cool to look at. And so that's just information for you to know. So we're diving into Matthew, which like I said, is for Jewish Christians. So for Christians who have received Christ, but then haven't done anything with it. So he's trying to convince people 
who already know Jesus that, hey, when you know him better, you act on it. And here's how I'm going to put that forward for you. And so the Matthew, I love the way his brain works. I love the way he organizes. I love organizing. And he organized his gospel very strategically. So the Sermon on the Mount, as we know it today, it's Matthew 5 through 7, was not, I think we picture that Jesus sat down and said all of these things at once to a big crowd, and that's not the case. And so Jesus would have traveled and he would have done shorter teachings here and there. And the Sermon on the Mount, as we know it in Matthew, is just the collective of his teachings. So Matthew put them all together. So like in Luke, you see these same teachings, but scattered around among the other stories, which was probably more chronologically correct. But Matthew had a point and was organizing it in a certain way. And so when we say the Sermon on the Mount, it's still accurate. It's still correct. It just wasn't necessarily him sitting down and teaching all of it. It was just his teachings that he did throughout and in various times and places and with various crowds and whatnot, different combinations, all put in one point or one place. So Matthew organized his gospel like this. Matthew 1 through 3 are Jesus' birth, early childhood, and his baptism. Matthew 4 is the temptation, and Jesus calls the disciples and begins his ministry. So we see the shift happen there. Matthew 5 through 7 is a collective of Jesus' teachings. 8 through 12 is Jesus living those out and performing miracles, emphasizing those points. Super cool. Matthew 13, again, is then more parables. It's more teachings. Once again, put together would have been spoken in different places, but Matthew put them together. 14 through 16, again, is Jesus living it out, doing miracles, having more teachings, you know, really trying to drive it home. So we see this pattern that Matthew has created. And then Matthew 17 is the transfiguration and 17 on is Jesus going to the cross. And he teaches and does other things in that process, but it's all focused on going to the cross. And so that's how Matthew organized his gospel. And I love it. I think that's so strategic. That makes a lot of sense, especially when you're trying to convince Christians who already know Christ to go do something with it. He says, here's the teaching. Here's how Jesus did it. What are you doing? Type of a feel. Super cool. Super organized. I love it. So now we'll get to Matthew 5, now that you know so much already. (laughs) Um, So we're starting off in Matthew 5. Remember, this is Matthew 4. Jesus had just done his temptation time in the wilderness. He begins his ministry. He starts to call the disciples. So this is him starting out, right? This is, he has fresh baby Christians in front of him and he's saying, what do I want you to know? These are what's important. So what he does is he introduces the new covenant and that is super important. That's what he dives into. And really that's what all of the Sermon on the Mount, on the Mount is. And so that's, you're going to hear me say that so many times. You're probably going to get tired of me, but it's so cool. It's so powerful. So he's introducing the new covenant and that's where he's starting. So if you'll look with me at Matthew chapter five, verses one through 11. So these are the Beatitudes, which I'm sure are familiar to, you've heard them, interacted with them before. And I think when we look at the Beatitudes, usually people look at them and say, you know, blessed are the meek, blessed are the, you know, the hungry, blessed are the mourning. And people kind of say like, oh, it'd be good to be those things because then I'm blessed. Or maybe it's a striving thing, right? It's like, a, oh, how do I get to be those? But more so, I think Jesus was looking out at the crowd and that was who was before him. It was the hungry and the meek and those seeking and those who were persecuted and those who were merciful and pure in heart. Like he looked at the crowd and he saw these people and these were the people that, that you know, we I would say church, but that was the temple back then. This, the synagogues and temples wouldn't let them in necessarily because they weren't religious people. And so they didn't interact with 
air quotes, you know, God the same way the um, Pharisees would have or whatnot. So this was their first time really hearing a teacher sit down with them and he's calling out who they are and saying, I see you, like you are blessed. This is how I want you to be. This is what I value. This is what I want in my kingdom. And so it wasn't necessarily yet a call to arms or a call to do something. It was a, hey, take a deep breath. I'm glad you're here. I see you. Wow, like, can we enjoy this time together? And so that is so beautiful. And I love that. You know, he says, this is what matters in my kingdom. And guess what? You guys are already doing some of this. Like, congratulations, you know, super cool, wonderful place to start. Then he goes through 13 and 16, which is saying, you are the salt, you are the light, which is identity and calling, right? He says, hey, I see you. Take a breath. Join me. This is your identity. This is your calling. I love that he starts there because he knows we wrestle with that. Like how often identity and calling come up for us. You know, those are important things for humans to know and to dig into. And so he starts there and I love that. So the salt, right? This is our identity. Salt, no, not our entire identity. This is just a piece of our identity. This is the piece of our identity that's really important for then going and telling people about Christ. So salt is a preservative, Right, It keeps things fresher longer, especially back then. That's how they would use it more so, was to preserve meat and to preserve things for longer periods of time. They didn't have refrigerators. They had to do different things, right? And so it was preserving. And salt is biting, right? It's not honey. There's times when we talk about honey in scripture, but this is salt, right? It's a little sharper, but salt affects other things. Other things don't affect salt, right? And so this is our... Our calling is to preserve the world and not necessarily the world, but the creatures who are here and who are looking for God. How do we hold space so that people can get to Christ? How do we preserve the scripture and Christ and Jesus in a culture that wants to erode it? You know, all these things, right? That's kind of that piece of our calling there is salt. And and then there's light, right? Which gives direction and is beautiful and is happy. And oh, you could, I could, you know, talk for light about hours, right? And so you, everyone has a certain feeling, you know, when you have, when you talk about light, especially the way scripture does. And so this light is our calling, Right? We're supposed to point out Jesus. We're supposed to call, be a beacon to call people to the light to Jesus. Supposed to go into darkness and light up that area. You know, there's so many different aspects of that, right? And I love math, this piece in Matthew because he doesn't say, you will be, someday you will be. When you work hard enough, when you've done enough to prove yourself, you'll get there someday, someday. No, no. He says, you are the salt and you are the light. And that is just so beautiful because there's this... Um, antithesis of calling and identity where it's it's immediate and yet you work to get but not better at it but you work for it you you work into it you live into it to get better and better right there's this both back and forth and I love that he says you are and he calls us to that and reminds us of that and I just think that's so beautiful and so here we have Jesus who's sitting in front of crowds hypothetically not necessarily the same place but you know various throughout and whatnot and he starts off by saying hey I see you. You are loved. You are cherished. You know, I see you. And then he says, here's your identity and calling. Join me, right? There's, he doesn't say join me right here, but I mean, that's always his call. We know that's his call, um, which is so beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And this is for you today too, right? Remember these things, hear these things. Whenever you open your Bible or whenever you turn on right now online worship services or anything like that, start there. Start with, hey, Jesus sees me. He's calling me to himself. I have a calling and identity in Christ. 
what else do you have for me today, God? That's just such a beautiful place to start. And I love that Jesus said that and that Matthew organized it in this way. It's just so beautiful. So then moving into the rest of Matthew 5. And so it, this is really where we see the new covenant starting to be established, right? Jesus is establishing his new order. He's saying, you knew it one way. I'm going to shake that. I'm going to change a lot of that. And so I think also when we say that, today, we are, all of you are probably familiar with things I've said or things I'm going to say or things I will say in any podcast, you know, bits and pieces you probably already know, maybe don't know. But remember the first hearers of this word, they were shook to the core about this. They're like, what do you mean? We had these laws and these rules and that's how we were told to connect to God. And now that's gone. Like that would have been a security blanket, I'm sure. You know, how much do we love to go back to legalism now even? Anyway, whole thing. So just, I hope you listen today to this with a little bit of a freshness of like, ooh, what's he going to say? What's he going to say? Because it is really wonderful. So Jesus gets to work. And so the first thing that he basically says is that he came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it, which is super, super cool. Um, Because the Old Testament and the Old Covenant wasn't bad, right? It was for a time and a place and a people, but it was also designed to end, It was destined to end, right? That wasn't the end game. We see God's hands played now with Jesus's and Jesus is coming and we know Jesus's second coming is going to come someday. Um, So the old covenant wasn't bad, but Jesus is saying, I fulfilled it because it was designed to be fulfilled. We see all the prophecies from old and whatnot, really digging into that. And we know that someday, you know, even in the Old Testament, there's so many hints of someday something's coming. And that's really, really beautiful. And so God, that there is a new covenant, it's God just continuing to work with us because sin separates us from God. And he works with us to help bring us to him again. And so we see that in the old covenant and now in the new covenant. And so the way the old covenant worked in essence was, hey, I'm going to do this for you and then you do this for me. It was this for that, right? And we understand this for that very well. Right, Our entire culture is pretty much this for that. I'm going to give you money and you're going to give me the product. I'm going to do a good job at my work and they're going to pay me a salary. Those are both money, but there's other examples of that this for that mindset and the way it works. And that's what they had been familiar with. And we were familiar with that, right? That's how it works in our culture. What if the grocery store, they're like, you know what? You never have to pay for groceries again. Just take it, right? That's crazy. That's kind of how they would have felt, right? And so this new covenant wasn't this for that. And so Jesus has to really, really talk about it as we talks about it a lot. So diving in, um, after Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the law. So now in 21, so 21 till the uh, 21 till 48, Jesus has, it, in your Bibles, it's probably separated into paragraphs, but Jesus talks about different categories, right? And so we're going to touch on each of these. But really, when you read these categories, even today, or not the categories, but these paragraphs, even today, they're pretty self-explanatory, right? You can read those and be like, okay. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I'll sit in this, right? I don't have to talk too much at length about these. I'll give you some more history and background about some of them. But they're pretty just out there for you, right? You can read these and understand them in plain, simple words, which I think is so cool. Um, So the first one is anger, which is about anger, but it's it's labeled as anger. But I think that it could have been labeled a little better, Um, Because it's deeper than just being mad about people. Jesus' point here isn't um, 
it is about anger and, you know, all the points kind of go back to your heart as the main thing more so, um, but it's deeper than that. If you remember from a podcast before, it was Sermon Reflection, March 1st. I talk a lot about the temple example and we actually read the scripture and talk a lot more about that. And so I'm not going to go as fully in depth, but basically Jesus is saying, hey, your relationship with other people is just as important as your relationship with God, which is super powerful words, right? And so there's that vertical relationship up and down of eyes to the sky. And how often as Christians do I say, do we say, I, I say it too, of course, but we say, I just want to be good with God right now. I just want to spend time with God right now. Eyes to the sky, me and God, me and God, me and God, which is not bad. I will never tell you that's bad. That is so good. Don't mishear me. However, this section is saying, there's horizontal. Look at the world around you. That is beautiful. And when you think of a cross, there's a vertical line and a horizontal line, right? You need both. And it's super, super important. And this is putting the greatest commandment on the same level, which the greatest commandment, love God, love neighbors. And so often we put love God way up at the tippy top and love neighbors way down at the bottom. But this is saying, hey, equal playing field. Because one of the best ways to show love for God is how you love those around you, right? It's it's all connected and, you know, First John, which reminds us that you don't know God if you don't love, right? They're, they're interchangeable. God is love, which is crazy, crazy, crazy. And so in the old covenant, it was love God, do these things in order to be with God and whatnot, right? A little simpler. I think we understand that decently well. Do something to earn love is not what it actually means, but how it can easily be translated into, which is a trap that we can fall into today very often. And the new covenant says, love God. And because of the cross, you are freely able to radically love those around you, right? New covenant, because of the cross, God took care of you and him, right? And so now you are free to love others as a priority, as a as a main focus. And so it's just that reminder and that call to say, hey, the people around you are really important, right? God wants you to care about them and love them and whatnot. And so um, that's the first little paragraph on anger. And then he moves into lust. And all I'll say on lust is that you control your own mind. If your mind is under control, your actions will be honorable, Right. And do this with Christ. Don't do this without Christ. And especially today in a culture where sex is right in front of you all of the time, it is so important to start with your heart. And this this section comes back to the point of honor people, honor people, love those people, love them through honoring them. And then the next section is divorce, which a um, if you've ever heard a scriptural divorce, air quotes, they kind of pull it from this little passage, which is out of context, however, is still in there, and I'm not denying it, where Jesus basically says that if there's cheating involved, divorce is okay. And I would also say that if abuse of any kind is involved, Jesus would say, yes, that's absolutely okay for divorce to be an option then. But the point here is that, first of all, marriage is a covenant with God. Second of all, honor people. Women were really shortchanged in these circumstances. And if you go back to scriptural um, times and the and the divorce that was happening then, women were treated very poorly and it was just not good. And so this was him saying, honor people, honor people. Next is oaths. Um, and basically Jesus is telling us that you should be a truthful person, that your simple word is enough, right? Don't be a liar or, you know, go back on your word often or whatnot is kind of what he's reminding us of. But also what's he saying? He's saying, honor 
people with your words, right? It's important to him, which is super awesome. And they all do kind of come back to honoring people. And then the last one is retaliation, which very easily you can see that this is saying honor people. But a fun fact, so whenever it says turn the other cheek, a lot of people will assume this means Jesus was saying um, pacifism is the way to go. However, when you go back to the culture of what this means to turn the other cheek, basically the way the phrasing, the Greek words, the, the feeling around it was when you would greet someone, you would turn your cheek for them to kiss it. And it was like a friendly greeting. And so what Jesus is saying, turn your other cheek in the expectation of a friendly greeting, in the expectation of friendship, in the expectation of reconciliation, right? So don't retaliate against them. Be willing to still be a friend to them. With healthy boundaries, you know, he's not saying degrade yourself or, you know, that could get into a whole rabbit trail. He's not saying that, but he is saying honor people, right? So beautiful, super, super cool. And then the last part is love your enemies, which um, is crazy. It's crazy because if you think about this time, we, we've heard this before, right? We are familiar with this. I think no one in today's culture necessarily would necessarily be like, oh, no, that's a crazy concept. But back then, that would have probably been the first time they would have heard that because they were taught to hate their enemies, right? We see how they dislike the Samaritans. We see so many examples of this, right? They hated their enemies. And really, the temple leaders probably made this worse and encouraged this. And Jesus is saying, love your enemies, because once again, yes, he's saying honor people, but he's saying honor all people, even those you hate, even your enemy, honor all people. So once again, hitting home that importance of relationships with each other. Yes, your relationship with God is important. Absolutely. None of this is possible without that. However, your relationship with other people is just as important, which is such a good reminder. So often, how I forget that often, you know, so I love that Jesus is reminding of this, reminding us of that. And so then we have this um, enemies example, which I don't know how many of us would say we have enemies. That's a word we don't really use right now. But um, it's really easy to love those who look and act like you and who have the same opinion as you. And sometimes it can be really difficult to love people who are different than you or who live a different lifestyle or who choose different things or who have different opinions, right? And I'm not even going to go into details, but this is inside the church and outside the church. Inside the church, you're going to have people that you have different opinions with. And I think that's okay. Outside of the church, you, I hope you have different opinions than the people who don't know Jesus. I really hope. If not, there might be an issue there. I'm just going to say that. Um, and so basically, I think if we change that word to enemies of to people who are different than me, right, that changes things, right? Love those people, honor those people in an active way, right? There's a way to disagree in love and to still honor people when you disagree with them, right? Because it, we have to separate actions slash opinions slash, you know, lifestyle, all these things from that person, that identity, that calling of that person is being called by God, is, was made by the creator, right? This is an important concept. And we don't separate the worldly things that people choose away from who they really are often enough. And I think we really need to do that. And so, you know, you can disagree in love. You can still honor people even if you, don't disagree, if you do disagree with them. I mean, I hope you honor people when you don't disagree with them. But also you have to honor them when you do disagree with them. You know, that's an important skill to have. And it's a skill. You need to practice it. You know, it doesn't – I don't think it would come naturally to anyone, right? You have to practice that different – doesn't have to be scary, right? 
I think it's also important for Christians to go through in their mind and decide what hill am I willing to die on? Right? What's so important to me? And I think everyone will have different hills, different things that they're really going to stick with. Um, I think there are some mass ones that all Christians should have, such as Jesus Christ is the way to salvation. That's a very simple one to say, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Um, but there's lots of different things here and everyone's individual. And so I encourage you, I, I often think, am I willing to die on this hill? And it helps me love people because if I can just give up my my thought or my, not my thought, but my um, way I want to do it, if I'll just give up my way because I'm not willing to die on the hill and it's not all that important to me, it makes it a lot easier and a lot easier to love people too because I put it in that perspective. And lastly, on this piece of loving your enemies, it's that call to unity, right? Overall, we are called to unity as the church and just as people in general, right? Creation, sin leads to separation, right? And creation supposed to be united and that's what Christ is trying to do. And when we let sin separate us, that's an issue, right? And so these, these, all of these ways are ways to honor people and to stop letting sin separate us. And so the last verse in Matthew 5 is Matthew 5, 48, which is kind of an aside and could have really been its own paragraph, um, which is fine, but it says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And so this is a blanket statement about everything he just said. This is, um, once again, another part of the new covenant. And so it's weird hearing the word perfect. I think we all hate the word perfect a lot because there's so many connotations with it, but there's a way for Christian perfection that is about the heart about your desires and your longings because we're all going to do sinful actions. That's going to happen when you live in a fallen world. And thank goodness there is forgiveness for that. But there's a way for in your heart, the inside out to be air quotes around perfect. And when I say that, I want to give you the Greek definition of this word perfect here. And so it's teleos. It's the word in Greek and it's a long definition, but I'm going to read it all to you because it is so beautiful. So the definition of this word is having reached its end, Complete, perfect, complete in all parts, full grown of age, specifically of the completeness of Christian character, mature from going through necessary stages to reach development to completion by fulfilling the necessary process. So, I mean, what words do we hear there a million times? Completion, right? Being brought through the process, right? Christian character. And so it's saying perfect is also a process, right? It's it's saying have its re- having reached its end, but you have to work through that. You have to live with Christ to get there. There's another side. It's not saying instantly be perfect. It's saying, hey, go through the heart process. Go through the process of setting yourself at the foot of the cross, and then you'll reach this point, right? It's, it's taking it back to you and Christ and your heart and saying, hey, this is possible. This is attainable. I promise. I, you know, Jesus says, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. You know, it, that's true. You know, in some aspects, it's, it's hard, but it's it's light. You know, it's, it's fun to love people. You know, when you take yourself out of things and love people well, it's so important. And I think going back to a little bit about love your enemies, but also another difference between the old and new covenant. And so there's this word judgment, um, which is a word that comes with a lot of connotations, and I would assume most of us have similar ones with it, but there's judgment. And sometimes you'll hear people, and it makes me cringe every time I hear it, well, they'll say, if you do X, Y, Z, you're going to hell, 
right? That kind of judgment is what I'm talking about right now of that judgment of if you do X, Y, Z, if you think X, Y, Z, if you, you know, anything, lots of people will put lots of different things there. They then say you are going to hell. That is obviously a judgment. And when you do that, you're living in the old covenant. That is old covenant thinking, right? If you say anything besides that sin has been defeated and when Jesus comes a second time, it'll be destroyed. You're saying the new, that's that right there, the defeated and will be destroyed is the new covenant. And if you say judgment of, if you do this, you're going to hell, that is old covenant. And when you mix the two covenants, they're both beautiful in their own respects, in their own time and place. They are both needed and wonderful. We now live in the new covenant though. And when you mix the two, you get the worst of both and you really, really hurt people and you destroy your ministry of reconciliation, right? We as Christians are called to the ministry of reconciling people to Christ by bringing them to the cross and then he does the saving, right? That is our work. That's what Jesus started. That's what the church is left to do. And when you still try to live in that old covenant with legalism or judgment or following rules instead of loving God and loving people, and then you also try and get other pieces of the new, it just doesn't work. You can't, they're not designed to be meshed together. They're designed to be standalone, completely, completely separate. And so that's why Jesus spends so much time talking about them. That's why so often he says to the disciples, do you not yet understand? Because remember, he's asking them to give up an entire worldview and saying, here's your new worldview. I can't imagine how hard it would have been for the disciples to really, yes, to walk with Christ would be amazing, but to really, really be the first ones to say, okay, we'll live in the new covenant. Well, we'll do it. Um, and we see the great things they did because of it. And so that is just really cool. And we can get there too. Um, we just can't mix them. It is so important not to mix them. And so just as we close today, I hope you enjoyed Matthew 5. It's a text that you could sit in for a very, very long time. And a lot of it is very I don't want to say plain, but it's very straightforward language. And so, yes, there's some cultural things that are important to know, but also you can read it and sit in that and and it, you can take directly from it. It's beautiful. And so I think again today you probably heard that call to abide in Christ, abide in Christ, and from there love, from there go forth, right? It's, it starts there. You can't change your behavior by just trying to change your behavior. If you're trying to cuss less and all you do all day is just say, I'm just going to cuss less. I'm just going to cuss less. I'm just going to cuss less. It's not going to work very well. But if you go down to your heart and you go to Christ and say, Christ, help me. And you replace it with Jesus. You replace it with good words. You replace it with things, right? This whole process, that's where change and growth comes from. That leads to the perfection that Matthew's talking about in 5 verse 41. Also, I encourage you to check your heart. How often do we check in with our heart and say, what are we putting out there, right? What's the light we're giving out? Is it beautiful light that's bringing people to Christ? Or is it a dingy light that's not really pointed at anything? You know, what What light are you giving out? Because, you know, your heart is what flows out. And so I encourage you to check your heart. See where it's at. See, see how you're feeling. Now's a great time to do that. Always is a great time to do that. Because you can't necessarily change until you go to your heart and say, what's the root? What What's happening in my heart to then lead me to do these things? And today I hope you hear that God sees you. God sees you and he knows you and he longs to know you more and he loves you. And Christ has given you your calling and your identity. And that won't change. It's, it's established. It's done. Live into it. Live into it in that perfection that he calls us to. And on top of that, remember to love God and love others, not as a step one, step two, but as all-inclusive. It's the same thing, right? You can't love people 
the best way you can if you don't know God, because God is love. And you can't love God without loving people. That's just that the new covenant tells us that that does not work at all. That is not what God wants for us. So I hope this was helpful to you and encouraging to you. Next time we meet for the deep dive, we'll be diving into Matthew chapter six, which will be awesome. And so let me just pray that over you all today. Um, So Jesus, I thank you so much that you came and you spoke to us and you told us all about the new covenant, Father. I pray that you continually and always shed off those pieces of the old covenant that we try to cling to, Lord, shed off legalism and judgment and all of those things that we try, you know, following by the rules to get love, Lord. Take all of that off of us, Lord. Um, And Jesus, I pray that you continually teach us this new covenant of yours. It is so beautiful, and we love you, and you are so kind to give it to us, Father. I pray that um, everyone who listens to this, Father, that they find you afresh, and that you, whatever you're doing in each individual's lives, that you continue it, and you just keep keep calling them deeper and deeper, Father. You are so good, and we love you. In your son's heavenly name, amen.